You're listening to Got Tech, the podcast with your hosts, Eric Geis and Nick Johnson. Welcome back to Got Tech, the podcast. This is episode 135 called Tips and EdTech for Student Portfolios. In this episode, we'll explain some of the benefits of assessing students using portfolios. We'll be sharing why you should do them, the barriers that stop teachers from using them, and some of our favorite tips, tech, and activity ideas to implement in your classroom. This is another episode you don't want to miss. Check it out. So back for episode 135, we are currently getting ready, or I guess we're heading into our spring break week, and I'm, I'm super excited for that to recharge. I do have a couple of home things that I want to get done, like mulching and getting ready to open, you know, the spring season, so I got to get out the lawnmower, fine-tune it, which I'm very excited for because I like to listen to podcasts and mow the lawn. Nick, do you have anything that you're going to be doing over spring break? Nothing in particular besides not working, not doing school. We talk a lot about uh, during these long breaks kind of shutting down a little bit, it's not opening the computer at all. So my plan is pretty much the same as yours. I'm going to be outside, probably still too cold to do any like real planting and preparation, but I'm going to I'm gonna at least pretend, get out there, maybe do some yard cleanup. At the very least, just try and maybe sit on my front porch and relax and not look at a computer screen for a little while because here we are today, actually, as we are recording, this is the last day of the marking period. Um, and I've been looking at my computer screen a lot for grading and for making materials for students. So I'm ready to shut down for a little bit. And, um, you know, just kind of relax before we kick in one last time to grind it out to the end of the school year. So that's my plan. So we have some spring break stuff that we want to get done. I uh, just want to quickly tell you that or remind you, because we've been doing this for a while, that we will be at SD this summer. Uh, Continue to reach out. We've heard from a lot of people who are going to go and uh, we're starting to, you know, try to figure out if we're going to go get cheesesteaks with everybody or, or what we're trying to do. But we will definitely meet up with some people down at ISTE. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. So today is all about student portfolios. And I know what a lot of people think. As soon as we start talking student portfolios, you're thinking you're you're investing too much time. You don't have the time to fit it into your curriculum, or uh, it's just not something that you see that fits in. And as we get through this episode, I will tell you this uh, right now that students are very capable of uh, doing work on their portfolio outside of class. You just need to give them the medium that you want them to use, and they could take it from there, and they're perfectly capable of that. So if you want to think of portfolios just as a place to organize student work, at the very minimum, you can do that, and that can make this a very successful activity. But we're going to go over some of the reasons why 
teachers do use student portfolios versus traditional assessments. And then we'll go over some reasons why portfolios kind of get left behind. So I'll do a little bit more background beyond that too. The, what made me think of this episode is one of the projects that I've been working on, that you've been working on, and uh, a teacher in our school has been working on is trying to uh, use a, a student portfolio as a replacement for all other traditional grades and assessments for that course. And this was in response to something that this teacher observed, which is a uh, drastic increase in stress and anxiety level of the students. So we are high school teachers and you know, we're, we're seeing this a lot. We're recording this in the year 2023. So depending on when you're listening, um, you know, after that date, I'm not sure if that problem is gonna still exist or not. My guess is that it will definitely still exist, but we've got really stressed out kids and it's we're not gonna get into the reasons why that might be. We're just gonna take it on face value. That is the case. Students are living with extremely high anxiety levels and one teacher at our school is trying to alleviate that by getting rid of or replacing one of the stressors that causes this, which is a test where they come in on a day and sit down and answer questions that they have to prepare for. Now, whether or not you agree with that strategy is besides the point. Uh, it got us thinking about portfolios in general as actually a really awesome tool for student assessment, for doing alternative student assessments. And we've never really done an episode of Got Tech that focused squarely on a student portfolio and how to do it and some of the tech that can help make this possible. So that's that's sort of what brought this to the uh, the forefront is 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 working with this teacher to help implement this so you know right off the top student portfolio portfolios versus a traditional assessment when i say traditional i mean like you know having the kids sit down and take a test take a multiple choice test answer some uh free response questions we are replacing that with students accumulating uh, artifacts, writings, videos, projects, things that they create, even just notes that document what they've been doing and document their learning and putting it somewhere, either on paper or, or digitally, and then turning in that work and submitting that work as this sort of holistic collection of, here's what I've done over the last month or week or entire school year and this is how you will assess me to show my progress within there. So why would you do it? Uh, it's a really great way for kids to look back and feel proud of the work that they've done. A lot of the times if kids are just turning things in, we talk about it a lot, right? The assignment uh, graveyard is the term I think you use. Is that what it is? Educational graveyard. Educational graveyard. They don't keep things. They don't, you know, they get a grade on it and that means it can be thrown away, recycled or shoved to the back of a folder. But in a portfolio, it, those things have life. They live on. They have a purpose. They are there to show growth and demonstrate that learning. Uh, if they have those things saved, they can self-reflect on them. They can look back over them. Uh, they can use them as a place to set some goals. Like, you know, here's this this explanation I wrote, you know, for me in the science world, maybe, you know, in October, they write an explanation of what they think happens when water boils. And then later in March, after they know a lot more about 
particles and how they interact, they can write it again and set some goals based on um, you know, what they've learned or what they still think they need to learn. That's the type of thing we're talking about here. Yeah, I'm just going to step in real quick. But really, when we go to a standards-based grading format, this is a way to provide evidence for that. And that's what you're kind of going over there. You're saying, hey, we want to check your progress at the very beginning of the course. And as you learn things, we're going to check your progress again. So at the end, it could just be, you know, where they are in the mastery of certain standards. And it's just a way to have students show that. And I think that's the big point behind these uh, student portfolios. A lot of teachers have heard of standards-based grading and they want to go away from traditional grading where everyone gets a percentage point and you compare everything uh, to the whole class. But really, most of the PD that has come out over the last seven to 10 years has been us transitioning into looking at the students as an individual rather than the class as a whole. And I think uh, that's kind of what you're describing here. That's exactly what I'm getting at. And you've, you've heard us talk about it a lot. The, this uh, standards-based grading is one of our, you know, kind of like one of our soapbox speeches that we'll, we'll happily get up and talk about. But that builds, builds in great with a portfolio because standards-based grading is all about that growth mentality. And that's literally what you are tracking with a portfolio of work. So I'm glad you brought it up. This is really good for um, also communication between home and school, which can tie in a bunch of different places like parent-teacher conferences or just sort of showing the community like, hey, look at how, how great these classes are. Here's the work that the kids are doing. Maybe it's a, you know, their portfolios are featured on a website that people can go check out. So that's pretty cool too. Um, you know, in terms of evaluating students, it's that's what it's really, centered on and and you've got all that information there in one place in the portfolio to provide that evaluation and I'll, I'll circle back at the end of this list of why I do them to decrease stress because it's no longer you know sitting down for that one moment and now's the time kid where you have to show me what you know and what you don't it's more of a, a an evolving thing and you can show what you know and what you don't know in a variety of, of ways so so perhaps it does decrease stress and and we'll, we'll leave that up to those of you who try it and see the effects, but, uh, but I think that outcome is likely. So those are just some of the many reasons why you might use a portfolio versus a traditional assessment. Um, why, why might teachers not do this? All right, so I'll take this one. And one of the biggest reasons is time, all right? So teachers think it's gonna take a lot of time for students to complete these portfolios. As I alluded to earlier, there are creative ways in which you can build in time for portfolios, such as maybe one of your things that you give your students is the do now. And they have five minutes at the beginning of class to put on their website, you know, answer these five questions of what they think happens during this process, this process, this process. And then at the end of the class period, there's another five minutes there where they have to say, okay, what did you get? what did you assume correctly at the beginning of class versus what actually does go on or provide three ways in which this process occurs in real life. Those types of things. That could be your portfolio. It's just a collection of do nows and exit, exit tickets. Um, so there are creative ways that you can put them in there. And like I said, students 
You show them a platform the first day, they're very quick to pick it up and they can easily carry on that with the expectations that you set in your class. So time is usually one. The next one is it's very subjective to grade. Uh, teachers feel uncomfortable because if anyone questions a grade, how are they going to come back? And um, we'll actually address this concern with rubrics in our next uh, top tip uh, suggestion. Uh, the next one is students will take advantage of the freedom. Well, there are ways around this. If you make that learning continuous or if you make the assignments you're always two assignments ahead of the students, they could start working towards the next assignments. Whether it's doing some investigation, whether it's setting goals for that next assignment, whether it's pre uh, programming a structure within their, their portfolios. So that freedom is there, but you need to create a safe space, just like you would in any other educational setting. You need to create expectations and a safe space for students uh, and set those expectations so they know what they need to be doing while they're in your class. The last thing is teachers question the effectiveness of portfolios as an assessment tool. Uh, does this really work? Uh, I would strongly say that it does if the focus and expectations are set early on. All right. You need to have follow-up. You need to have a feedback mechanism uh, set in place. And these are all things, uh, these are all reasons why portfolios get left behind. But I just want to take one second real quick and say, think about the real world. That's our job, is to prepare them for the work-ready force or the next level of education. It's one of those two things. Uh, in the real world, unless you're a CPA taking the CPA test or something like that, tests typically go out the window and it's more portfolio or project based. All right, so if we want to truly get them ready, we need to accept as teachers that there are certain pieces of information that students can look up or business people can look up in order to create something that they are going to present to an audience whether it's a product, whether it's research for a drug, with whatever it may be. And I think by totally dismissing portfolios, we are doing a disservice to our students uh, because you know, it's just another skill that they need to learn in order to be ready for the workforce. You're right, man. And, and you know, if you're really hung up on, on giving tests, uh, and I'll, I'll preface this whole thing with, I give a lot of tests, a lot of traditional tests. I teach AP Chem, and I give a lot of tests because in order to keep that position, I gotta make sure that my students do well on a test. So it, it is a, an important part of my class, for sure. And a lot of you are probably probably in similar boats where you've gotta demonstrate you know, good scores on standardized testing. Maybe that's tied to your pay. Maybe it's tied to the some perks that you have at your job. Uh, who, who knows? Maybe you just want to look like you're a, 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 in quotes, good teacher with those test scores. I get it. And I'll, you know, add maybe this is the, a good segue into the, our tips portion is you can still do those tests and make them part of the portfolio. And actually, that's kind of how I would do this if I was going to do it, because 
it's maybe more so in the science world, but there are there's tests that kids are going to have to pass for sure. I mean, you're totally right that in, in the work world, they're going to move away from that. But to get there, a lot of these students will be taking tests and maybe you feel like you want to help prepare them for that. Make the test just like one artifact of their overall portfolio. Maybe they take the test at the beginning and that's artifact number one. I got a 60 before I really did any investigation and then they take the test again at the end and that's their final artifact of the portfolio. And they say, and they can show, well, I got an 85 now. So I did a ton of learning and here's all the stuff in between there that helped to make that happen. So I don't know if that's on our list of tips, but I'm gonna make it one, is that you can still do traditional assessments, but build them in as part of the portfolio process. So I'm glad I'm glad you brought up that aspect of it. And just going with that, with portfolios, there's no reason why your assessment can't be one of your artifacts that are within your portfolio as well. So you can add that in there as an artifact because that is a good reflective uh, piece. You know, I noticed that I got a lot under the same category of question wrong. What do I need to do in order to make my understanding better within this course? Yeah, so let's, um, you know, for some of the tips we have, this is kind of built around someone who might listen to this episode and say, I think I'm going to do this. I'm going to embrace the whole portfolio thing, maybe as a, an experiment for the end of this school year. You're going to try and assess your kids with a portfolio. What's one thing you want to do? One thing you want to do is before you start this project, make sure that you've got a clear, some clear goals and a clear focus and your expectations set from the beginning. And what I mean by that is decide now before you start doing anything, is this portfolio going to span like just one unit? Like your, maybe your last unit of the year, you're going to assess with a portfolio. Are you going to ask students to create a portfolio that goes back over the entire year that they've been with you and sort of put together a showcase of their learning? That's an option as well. Uh, if there's certain skills that you want to assess with this portfolio, you probably want to list those out and, and probably want to share that with the kids too. You know, it should be very black and white for them as far as what they have to show in this portfolio or show evidence for. Uh, same thing with what content is it supposed to assess. You should be able to give like some objectives or a list of very clear deliverables for the students to try and gather things. And then, you know, this is not going to be so, so helpful if you're doing an end of the year portfolio, but if you're planning on starting next school year, you are going to want to know that is this a active document that will live throughout the entire year? Is it going to show progress over time? Or is it literally just that, like I've used the word showcase, is it just this thing that's going to exist to show parents what kids have done, to show administration what kids have done, which, which by the way, is a totally, you know, okay way to, to set up a portfolio. It can literally be a showcase. But the point is you want to decide that early before you start, because there's a fair amount of prep work here to put together um, this portfolio assignment, and you want to make sure those expectations and goals are, are set from the beginning. Yeah, that's that's a great way tying in with that is, you know, feedback. Uh, feedback is an important mechanism within this whole process. You need to have check-ins. You need to plan for these check-ins. How are you going to provide feedback? 
what is the mechanism that you're going to use? Is it going to be moat? Is it going to just be comments in a Google document? Uh, are you going to meet with them one-on-one? -on -one? Are you going to have some general comments that you provide to the whole class? Are you going to have some individual comments? How are you going to deliver those individual comments? And how are you going to make it meaningful for the students? All right. So these check-ins should be often. One thing that will do is keep students moving within the classroom. You can bring four or five students up at once that are kind of at the same spot, have a little small discussion while the rest of your class is uh, continuing working on their portfolio. You do not need to make this something that they're working on every day, or maybe you want to make it something that they're working on every day. It doesn't matter, but you must plan to provide feedback in multiple different ways. I like the idea of doing one portfolio day a week or on some kind of regularly rotating basis. And on that portfolio day, the kids get to work and add things to it. That's also when me, the teacher, is gonna do my feedback. That way the feedback giving is happening in class. I don't have to find magic time outside of school that I definitely don't have to do extra grading or be giving feedback you know, while the kids are working, maybe you call up the students one at a time and say, show me your portfolio, what do you got? And as they are showing you, you are typing in feedback to them and, and sharing it. So you can make it, sort of build in that feedback as part of the process. Uh, you wanna decide how you're gonna grade it, of course. Like, uh, is there gonna be a rubric? You wanna make sure those rubrics are high level and really challenge the kids. The rubric should not be a checklist. And unless that's what you want it to be, maybe this is the type of a portfolio where it is just completion-based. Show me one piece of evidence that you can do skill X, and they put it in there and they get a check for that thing. That's, you know, that's not gonna necessarily push the kids to higher levels, but it is, it is one way you could set this up. I even saw uh, something online that you might wanna consider having another teacher uh, perform grading checks along with you, which was interesting. I don't know that I would ever do this because I don't want to bog my colleagues down with like, hey, could you grade one of my students' works? But the idea is like, as a way to make sure that you are grading fairly. So if another teacher uses your rubric and gets a similar score to what you got, then that means you're doing a good job and you have uh, you know a basis on which to actually give the student that score. Just, to, just so you know you're not favoring or being biased in any particular way. Yeah, that one. It's not going <laughs> to that, that one's not going to happen. The only yeah. way that that would work is if you and I taught the same course and you graded mine and I graded yours. Right, yeah, yeah. That would be the only way. That I could see happening. Yeah, and that would have to be more of a uh, formative type grading thing. Maybe you're just providing feedback rather than a actual grade that goes in the grade book because uh, I could just see that getting very murky. For sure. Uh, so I guess the next one is to explain the purpose, which kind of goes with the first one, but just when we say explain the purpose, you, you almost need to be a salesman at first so they get buy-in. They need to know what the benefits are. Why is this important? Can they use this portfolio of work for something else that will benefit them in the future? Or what is this portfolio going to contribute in the future? Is it just a activity for me to do throughout the whole year and at the end it's done? Or is this something that's gonna be shared with uh, the public later on? 
or maybe even the students the next year? Yeah, the, the teacher that we, or that I referenced at the start of this who is doing portfolios now, at the beginning of this year, uh, they had a, a big giant meeting of like all the students in her classes. There was like 50 some kids in the media center and it was her, like you just, you said it was a sales pitch. She explained to them like, hey guys, we're changing it up this year. This is gonna be super different. Here's why I'm doing it. I've just been noticing like crazy amounts of stress over of school and undue amounts of stress that really don't match up with uh, the importance of these assignments that everyone's getting stressed up, stressed out about. So here's here's what we're gonna try. And was like super upfront with them from the beginning. And I think that type of thing is appreciated by kids and is is gonna help them buy into the whole process. So that's that, that's a great way to go about it. All right, so our next one is provide students with a repertoire of resources, all right? A curated list of resources. I put ed tech resources here because there are some ed tech tools out there that will help, whether it's you know Canva or Google, uh, Google Images or different places where they could find royalty-free images, uh, Wakelet collections, whether there's some type of a grammar uh, collection. I'm thinking uh, the Purdue OWL website right. where it will help them cite and the different parts of writing and, and things like that. Get all those things in one place where students can easily find them and go to. One thing that's gonna do is it's gonna eliminate uh, you taking time to answer the same question over and over again, but it's also going to give them a hub where they could go and they could look there first before coming up and running to ask you. Yep, and then another thing you're gonna wanna do is build in student reflections as part of the portfolio as one type of artifact. And you know, I, I always hated these. I remember being in, in grad school and having to write reflections on stuff and it just always felt so tedious and annoying and I would sit there and, and do it and I was pounding my keyboard and thinking this is such a waste of my time, but there is, there's definitely something that happens when you do that, even if you're super annoyed by having to do it, to write that reflection, it's, it does something to your brain. It, it helps hardwire those connections that were made when you were learning the material. It makes a difference and you can build it in. So one thing I did during my AP biology portfolios that we did is I always had them go back over their previous assessment and this would be like a traditional test and identify one to three misconceptions or one of the three things that they missed. And then right before they took the AP test, I made them go back and answer all those things. All they had to do is identify, and that's a, for, that's a form of reflection. Identifying your misconceptions or your weaknesses within what you understand is huge. Now, if you ask them to do that you know, at the end of the year, go back to all your tests and do it. It's not very meaningful. And I'll tell you why. One of the reasons is they might've picked up or grew those misconceptions even further along the way. But the second thing is, is this allows them to go back when it's fresh, identify their misconceptions. So later on they can strengthen those weak spots. That's huge. And that's part of uh, reflection. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. I'll cover the last two tips here. They're pretty straightforward. Um, you know, you can do a more simple surface level portfolio that is where you just are requiring students to keep certain things in order to 
uh, I don't know what the word is here, achieve other benefits or to receive other benefits, to earn other benefits, that's the one. Uh, for example, in our school, kids are allowed to retake tests, one assessment per marking period. Uh, at the teacher's discretion, if the teacher deems that they uh, deserve that, I think the kids have to show like a, a good faith effort is the terminology. But we have a lot of gray area around what is that good faith effort that a kid has to show. Well, I could from the start of the year decide that in order to qualify to retake this test, let's go back and check out your portfolio that must have, I don't know, the, this certain set of problems done from each class period. You mentioned earlier the, uh, the do nows and exit slips from your class. Make those have to exist on the portfolio in order for kids to, to get these other benefits. Or maybe it's as simple as like a, you know, a sticker or some free time that they earn by actually keeping these things. It's a great way. You could let the portfolio give meaning to these, like these practice assignments, these do nows that in, in, other, in any other scenario don't go anywhere. We have a lot of kids who you know, just kind of don't do them because they know it's just practice. So they're just gonna sort of chill out during that time. The portfolio can help deal with that. Also, presentations. You can have a presentation as part of the portfolio process, and we'll get more into the details to wrap up the episode shortly here. But like, you know, the kids accumulate everything, let's say, in a Google slide deck, and then at the end of the quarter, they have a week where they have to go in and make that slide deck attractive, make it presentable, and then get up and share that via a presentation and that that presentation itself can be part of the portfolio grade the presentation could be the entire portfolio grade if you don't want to have to sit there and flip through their portfolios yourself make them present it and then you can score those portfolios as the students present their work and present their findings and that's one of my other those actually those last two are some of my favorites here because they really I think make this more approachable for the average teacher who's obviously short on time and, and everything else. And it makes it a little more uh, feasible perhaps with those sort of black and white ideas. So that's it for tips, right? Unless you have something else. No, let's just get right into the next thing, which is uh, portfolio-based activities. And I broke these into two different groups and I'll go over them quick. And then if there's anything that you wanna add, sure. please do. Uh, the first is class projects, and the second is individual projects. So as a class, we can make a portfolio together. And I did this, as I mentioned earlier, with my AP uh, students. What they had to do is they were each in charge of one topic per chapter. And what they had to do is they had to contribute their uh, work towards that one topic. And I had 16 students that year. It was a light year just because of the pandemic. Uh, so I had 16 students and they each had one topic within the chapter and they worked on the portfolio all together. What they had to do is they had to do some type of guided notes with my videos. They had to post those. They had to pr uh, provide another YouTube video that went over the same thing that I kind of went over. They had to pick Whatever they thought the main focus was, they had to try to find a video or a piece of a video that kind of gave another example. And then 
what they had to do is for each process within their topic that they were responsible for, they had to find a real world, real life example of that. And uh, from there, they actually made AP Biology podcast episodes on their topic as well, uh, which you could find at my AP Biology Thoughts podcast on all the major players. Um, So I will tell you that that does work and it works well. They enjoyed that a lot, and from what I understand, that portfolio site still exists, and there are students using that uh, in the following years, you know, with the new classes that come in. The second thing is a chapter review. If you don't want to do a whole year thing, do one, one chapter per year for the next couple of years, and then you're going to have a pretty decent collection of these uh, portfolios. Same thing kind of goes. You divvy out the work to your students whether it's individually or in groups and then together you'll create some type of portfolio that's pretty awesome now one thing i really like is making a portfolio centered around pictures or graphs or data so if you asked every student to Uh, grab something that could be displayed by an image or a map or data, any type of data, and then basically just tell the story behind that. And you ask them to do this a couple times throughout the year on anything that you've covered from the very beginning of the year to the end. You're going to have a nice resource, not only for you to use, but for students to use in the future. And when they know that their work is going to be seen by other people, I think that makes the quality of work go up and the buy-in as well go up. The next class of portfolios are all individual projects. Uh, Nick talked a little bit about the year reflection. So this is keeping those do nows, exit tickets all in one spot throughout the year individually it's almost like a daily journal for them Uh, i did this uh, with a different science class with every lab that they made so i gave them all of the lab materials digitally and then they were able to put that in their portfolio and show their work in there all i had to do was get one um, link from them for their site at the very beginning of the year and then that's where they turned in all their lab work. So anytime I wanted to grade labs, all I had to do was go straight to their site. So I, I had 24 links at the beginning of the year and I would just go down and click through each one of them and grade their lab reports. And I love this because then I knew everyone was handing it in digitally. So then I can make my canned comments and easily give those students quick feedback. And it took me a lot less time. Uh, the next two is the summative informative assessment collection. So summative could just be mastery check. I know some teachers that provide students with the option of doing an activity that lasts one period where they have to turn in a portfolio uh, at the end of that period or take the standardized test, the, the, the typical end of the unit or end of the chapter test. And they're all working at the same time, picking their poison. That's what I would call it because, you know, those traditional standardized tests, I always struggled through them. I would probably go with the portfolio every time and do very well. The formative uh, portfolio is more or less uh, what I would have them do is if I would give them any type of formative assessment, they would have to capture that, whether it's taking a picture of it with their phone, taking a screenshot, 
It could be something as simple as a blue kit uh, taking the data that they received from that blue kit, putting it into uh, a Google site, and then underneath, these are the questions that I got wrong and why I got them wrong, something like that. And then finally, the real world application, you can teach them how to make a portfolio that's gonna serve as their interactive CV for jobs, which might include a resume on there as well. Or it could be used as college uh, entrance um, showcases, such as for AP art or music auditions, where they can show artifacts. This is a song that I wrote and composed and, and performed. Here's a video of me performing it. Um, here are my AP art uh, work. I digitized them so you can see them all in one place. Uh, please inquire about seeing my real life in person portfolio. You know, something along those lines. But these are just some of the individual and class projects uh, centered around portfolios that I've used or I've heard being used in the past. Yeah, I mean, the I'll just make two comments about that list. I mean, the for science teachers, using a portfolio as a place to collect lab work for the year, that's a great idea, a good way to build this in without too much, you know, large-scale thinking and planning. Just just give a digital spot where kids are going to put all this stuff. I haven't heard of this in years, but this is maybe going back seven, eight years ago. We would actually get students say that in order to be accepted to the college they want to go to, they had to, or no, I think this was to receive credit for an AP exam. That's what it was. So, you know, kids take an AP test and they get college credit. Supposedly, schools used to uh, sometimes withhold that credit until kids could show the lab work that they had done. And I used to tell my AP chemistry kids this, like, I'm not necessarily going to grade and collect every single lab you do but here's your lab book and you got to keep track of all this because your college may want to see it i'm pretty sure that has gone by the wayside but you never know regardless it might be helpful for you as a teacher to be doing that and then the thing you shared where the um you know the the students are creating sort of like a collective portfolio of podcasts that then live on and become review materials for future classes uh that add to it and build this body of work is just super awesome and I know it can be very helpful. So that's some of the activity ideas and we'll wrap it up as we often do, always do really, with some ed tech that can help support this and there's, there's tons of stuff here. We could have done the entire episode just on you know, the ed tech implementation of this itself but uh, we sort of wanted to give more of like a, uh, like a large scale approach to the whole thing. So we'll just mention some of these things to wrap it up. There's one particular ed tech tool that I think takes the cake when it comes to portfolios and it is called Seesaw. Um, it's, it's a very well-known tool. It's been around for a while. It's one of these tools that I think is, has withstood the test of time and will continue to do so. Seesaw is pretty much designed for collections and uh, portfolio collections of students that's essentially its purpose uh, they may not necessarily use that word but that's largely how seesaw is used um, what it really is great for is collecting student work sharing that student work home with with parents in the community and allowing a, a back and forth between the teacher and the students within the platform as students you know put things there you can assign work via Seesaw, and then that work becomes part of the collection, part of the portfolio, 
and that feedback takes place back and forth within the platform. So uh, if you're looking for an all-in-one service that's gonna do this, I would definitely recommend Seesaw. There is a, I believe, a paywall for this. I didn't check out the specific details. There may be a free version that you can get by with, but you're gonna wanna check that out yourself first. Um, but I know for sure we have had teachers here ask if it's something the school pays for. So I have a feeling that to use the full range, you're gonna wanna see if you could get, if you could get your district to purchase this for you. But I always like to mention that there is, there is one tool out there that could be like a one-stop shop for your digital portfolio. Yeah, I think that's a solid tool. Seesaw, I've always been a fan of, uh, but we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about some of the web page, website options. Up until this point, I always went with uh, Google Sites. And I will tell you that I am moving away from Google Sites and I'm going to Canva web pages just because it gives students more creative flexibility and it makes a lot of our Google uh, websites all look pretty cookie cutter right. and uh, templatic. Whereas with Canva, you have more creative expression that you're able to bring into it where it actually looks like a real web page. It doesn't look like a cookie cutter web page. So check out Canva websites or web pages. It's you're only able to do one web page, but you can connect a whole bunch of single web pages together through hyperlinks. So that is possible. Or you could just make it very, very continuous and at the top throw up like a uh, almost like an index there where it's hyperlinked where they can get to a different page or different part of the page. So those two are very good options for some of you uh, who might not feel as comfortable with Canva. Google Sites is is also very um, good as well for portfolios. Yeah, I mean, if you if you're getting tired of this episode and you want to end it, or maybe you're close to your house and you know you're going to stop listening soon. Google Tools, that's the way to go for EdTech. For me, if I was gonna build in a portfolio, no matter what it is, if it's a complex, holistic one that spans the whole year, or if it's just a small-scale one that we're doing over the course of like a unit, I'm probably gonna use Google Slides and just have each slide of the presentation be something. All right, let's get into some of our EdTech tools that we haven't brought up in a while. I know the first one you've been talking about you've been very excited about. So I'm gonna let you go ahead and go over that one. Yeah, it's called Artsonia. Uh, this is gonna be really only applicable to the uh, art teachers out there, but uh, for what it is, it's really great. And that is a place to, it's an app. And it basically, if you've got the app on your phone, you can snap pictures of student artwork and throw it up there as part of literally what they call a portfolio. So this is more of like the showcase type of portfolio. I'm sure you could use it as well as a way to sort of keep track of kids' work for grading purposes and other things, but it's sort of like a, a digital art show that just lives on always within the, the app. So parents can check it at any point and see what the kids are doing, and it's just really, really awesome. I'm guessing most teachers listening to this show, most art teachers already know about it because it's pretty huge in that world, but if you're talking portfolios, you gotta mention Artsonia. Uh, which you can use, by the way, from, you know, there's a web-based version, your uh, Android phone can do it, your Apple phone can do it. Really, really super cool. You're going to want to check out Artsonia. Yeah, the next one that 
is listed is called Project Foundry. This learning tool allows students to plan and monitor their learning progress and assist teachers in sorting student projects and proposals effectively. So it's another place where it could kind of help you sort out some of those goals and, and whatever the objective is for that portfolio and manage it all in one spot. So there's a centralized collection of projects that will make it easy for students to access and assemble their digital wallets, a necessary tool in changing the whole landscape of technology. Yeah, Project Foundry is pretty cool. It's a, a unique one that you, you should check out if you're considering more of like a large scale portfolio project um, and is pretty cool. Another good one is called uh, Evernote. And Evernote, it's not really for portfolios. It's more of like a, a web-based note-taking tool. If you, if you have Evernote, uh, as a student, you can use it to record really notes, right? But it saves photos. It can save audio files as you're searching the web. And anytime you're saving things like this, uh, those notes can then be built into a portfolio. Uh, and the best part about Evernote is that it makes the organization of all these things that you are saving really easy. That's kind of what a portfolio is. So I've seen that a lot of teachers use Evernote to help collect artifacts that will then be part of the portfolio itself. So I am not an Evernote user, but I've looked a fair bit at what it can do. And it does seem really, really great if you want to invest some time into learning something that is a, a pretty cool uh, resource collection platform. Yeah, I'll go over some feedback tools that I would throw in there. Moat is one that we go over all the time. It connects to anything on your Chrome uh, browser as well as Google. It fits in with the Google products nicely. But we just ran across one from gotlearning.com that's called Feedback. Um, or you can find it at feedback.gotlearning.com. And this one is pretty cool. It uses AI to provide feedback. Uh, you can go into the feedback, uh, got feedback, and it allows you to select how you want to get feedback on or what you want to get feedback on, whether it's the narrative, um, uh, whether it is how you write, some things like that. And then you could enter your students' work below, or you could copy or paste something in there, upload a file uh, of your students' work, and then it will actually take it, analyze it, and then kick out some feedback and some examples. I know I put in there a, I got ChatGPT to write me a story about a narwhal that thought he was a seal. And basically the story came out and and uh you know at first this narwhal left the narwhal pack to go with the seal pack and uh as time went on the narwhal grew you know 15 billion times the size of a seal and the narwhal came to realize that it was a narwhal and not indeed a seal and began to accept the fact that it was a narwhal all right, so I put that in, I copied and pasted it into the got feedback box, and then it analyzed it and it said, hey, your narrative is pretty good, but you need to make a better hook at the beginning to capture your readers. And it provided an example of what that hook may look like. And I, I really thought that was pretty awesome. It's such an easy tool to use and 
uh, you should definitely go over to feedback.gotlearning.com. Yeah, that's for me, that's the tool of the show. That might be the, the moment of the show. You want to talk about AI making a teacher's life easier? You know, there is now AI written feedback that you could, I don't know if you want to just give it to students without reading it first, but man, oh man, it was, it was pretty cool. Check it out. Link is in the show notes. The last one I'll do really quick is blogging platforms. There's a ton of these and they're fairly well known, but the, a student ran blog can be the portfolio. Edublogs is the most popular one. Uh, Glogster is another one that's been around for a long time that can make pretty cool uh, like visual uh, student portfolio work. So there's tons of choices out there to digitize this and you know, in, in education today, I would guess chances are pretty good you are doing a digital portfolio. For sure, one or two of these is gonna help you out. That's also gonna wrap up this episode of Got Tech. Just like always, guys, do us some favors, subscribe on Apple, on Spotify, on Google, on Stitcher. We're on YouTube at We Got Tech. We've got a whole channel there, check us out. You can find us on Twitter, just look up the show and you'll find it along with our own personal Twitter accounts. We've got a Facebook page too. Uh, even better, write us a review, even better than that. Check out gottech.com, our website. And also, if you're checking out websites, check out Teach Better Podcast Network. It is the network where, or one of the places our show is, is hosted and you'll find us there, uh, along with lots of other great resources and lots of other great educational podcasts. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Got Tech, the podcast. Remember to subscribe to our show and follow us at We Got Tech on Twitter so you can stay up to date with the latest episode releases, blog posts, product reviews, and PD announcements. You can also follow Geist and I individually at Geist Got Tech and at Nick Got Tech on Twitter or on Instagram at Nick Got Tech. Finally, remember to check out our website, gottech.com, where we post all our episodes, articles, and resources available to you for free. Until next time.